Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Schneps. We have a great entrepreneur with us today, James Malios, who runs restaurants throughout New York City, as well as the Hamptons and Long Island. He's certainly seen uh, the differences in the areas based on the pandemic in this last year and a half. Certainly restaurants have felt the impact, um, both from uh, people coming to restaurants as well as really staffing. I know that's been a, been a huge issue for many people in the industry. So James runs Savetta Hospitality. He's an entrepreneur and restaurateur. The restaurants that he uh, owns and operates include Amali on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, Calissa in Watermill, Bar Marseille in the Rockaways, and Juniper at the Vanderbilt, which is in Nassau County. Savetta's restaurants have received numerous awards and, and really critical acclaim from everyone, including President Barack Obama, the Ford Foundation, and the City of New York um, for their commitment to the community, philanthropy, really being sustainable businesses and, and having great food and atmosphere. James grew up in Queens and attended the Bronx Science uh, School before graduating from Cornell University with distinction, I might add, in 1996 and Fordham Law School in 1999. He's a board member of the East Midtown Partnership Bid, NYC Hospitality Alliance, and NYC Hospitality Council. He's spoken at Columbia Law School, Hunter College, and the 92nd Street Y on issues in the restaurant industry. He has uh, two children and lives with his wife in Manhattan. So James, thanks so much for being with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and uh, thank you for the kind words. Uh, I, I'm not sure the moniker great is, uh, it's very kind of you, but every time someone says restaurant tour, I keep looking over my shoulder for who they're uh, talking to. So thank you. Well, I'm definitely talking to you because you have several restaurants and they're really terrific. And, you know, you really have terrific experience to share with everybody today. So I would really love for you to share your story and how you got into the restaurant business. Sure. I was, uh, you know, I was practicing law and I was probably one of the legions of attorneys who did not love their job. And uh, I was at a firm and uh, wasn't that happy. And probably, frankly, they weren't that happy with me, probably. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it was a bit of an office space sort of situation there. And um, I ended up going, uh, it was supposed to be like a three-month tour or three-hour tour. I went to join my friend uh, who was working for a real estate developer in Delaware doing restaurants there. And fast forward 16 years, and I'm, I'm here talking to you. I think uh, I, I used to like to joke that I was the only Greek kid in Queens whose dad paid his taxes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably still true. And uh, some sort of Freudian feeling of inadequacy, but uh, I, I certainly love uh, the industry that I've uh, been able to uh, become a member of and you know, came back, worked with some great people. And I opened, we opened a Molly in 2011 and close in 2017 uh, in the Hamptons and definitely uh, was a lesson in humility <laughs> for, not that I think I, you know, tremendous, I mean, everyone has an ego, but definitely a lesson in humility. And mm -hmm. uh, in the pandemic, we opened uh, Bar Marseille and Juniper, which I probably would have preferred different timing if I'd be sure. candid. But um, we're very, uh, I feel like all things considered, we are extremely fortunate, beyond fortunate, that we have not closed any restaurants. Ever since the initial unpleasantness, I'll call it, from June of 2020, we never laid off a colleague due to economic circumstances. We kept That's our amazing. Amazing. For you, you have the restaurant out in the Hamptons and you have the restaurant in Manhattan. You know, obviously I, I've been around both because we have AM New York in, in Manhattan. We have Dan's Papers 
in the Hamptons, it, it really blew my mind how big a difference there were during the pandemic between the two areas. And I mean that from the standpoint of a small business owner, because yeah. from my standpoint, I saw it as, you know, Manhattan really struggling in many cases, you know, having to cut back. In the Hamptons, it was like you couldn't staff enough because there was so much business. But what was your take on it? What did you see? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a tale of two cities. And we were, you know, on the border of Midtown East and the Upper East Side. So depending on, you know, what map you're looking at, we fall in one of those two neighborhoods. It was, God, it was so bad, man. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. It's almost like block, blocking out, like how bad yeah. it, it Yeah, I mean, I, I could probably, I'd be happy to give obviously specifics for your listeners, but I, I, I can, I, I'm comfortable saying that um, during that time, the, the disparity was so stark. Uh, we were lucky, uh, not lucky, but, um, you know, in April or May, uh, I'd emailed all of our investors and I said, look, I have no idea how this is going to shake out, but like, this is our plan. And our plan is to, uh, instead of like Scrooge McDucking the money from the government, we're going to do what they're asking us and we're going to pump it all back into the business. And I, there will be another side of this and we will hopefully be able to be ready or there won't, it'll be the fucking walking dead or whatever, <laughs> like, and yeah. we're doesn't matter. So thankfully we had Calissa because, and what was previously a, arguably a poor commuting decision to have the restaurants in different places uh, <laughs> or like a death wish for the, to spend time in your car turned out to be a, uh, a huge blessing because we basically just told the investors, every restaurant's going to help each other out for the next two years. And that'll be it. And if you have a problem with it, now's the time to say something. I mean, I think it's interesting because you said a couple of things, right? One is you have to be passionate about what you do, particularly if you want to be good at it. Because <laughs> I was an investment banker, like how you were a lawyer, I was an investment banker and I hated it. And I realized it's one thing to hate what you do, but it's another thing to be good at something when you really, you, know, you could do it for a short while, but after a little while you get burnt out. And then yep. the other is really just having a diversified business, right? I mean, I look at that from our businesses. Sometimes yep. part of your business does bad, but if the other part does well, it helps the overall company. And it sounds like that may have been the case with you having the Hamptons. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the uh, and by the way, I totally agree with you on the uh, your point about investment banking. I used to joke that if I build the hours I work now, I would like run Cravath or something. I'm not smart enough to run Cravath, but the, theoretically, the uh, or at least be like that in-house, that whatever the up council that everyone doesn't know why they didn't make partner. In my mind, it was always a hedge. The Hamptons on some level, but in my mind, originally it was a hedge for like weekends in the summer for our clientele. It was not certainly not on the scope. Of, of what we saw. But, you know, I grew up in Queens and I might spend my whole life going to my grandmother's house in Long Island. So to me, they're very, they feel very natural. You know, I shed my, a lot of my accent a long time ago, but I, I find that I have to, I have to let it shine a little bit when I'm at Bar Marseille. Sure. Why not? <laughs> you're the same and uh, you have to be pretty protean depending on what, what property you're at for your publications. Well, you know, listen, I think you also have a lot of creativity. I absolutely love what you did with Broadway uh, Out East and Calissa Sounds. I mean, you have to share that because you had some huge names that performed at Calissa. So can you just give a little background on how that all came together and what exactly took place and who you had performed there? Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. So basically, when we're going to this this coming year, uh, we always had wanted to develop our, our music and call it, let's say, nightlife light at Kalissa. So last year, our kids go to school together and he was he's a Broadway musician. 
and, and we started hanging out probably because it was like a game of who screwed like worse. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like misery loves company. Like we're like, wow, things are bad, but things are definitely worse for you. So, <laughs> uh, but, uh, so these Broadway guys started, started playing at, um, at Calissa and last summer. And it was, I think Broadway is a, such a uniquely New York thing, right? There's, it's hard to think of else that is as uniquely New York um, as Broadway. And it gave us, uh, at least us, uh, the musicians and ourselves at the restaurant, this just feeling of hope in a very like unpleasant time. And so we kind of doubled down on it this past year. And we had a, uh, it was actually great because a lot of people are, are very well known on Broadway. I don't know much about Broadway, so I never knew that. Justin would always give me their names. I never like immediately knew who they were, but you know, we had stars from Hamilton who played Aaron Burr. We had uh, uh, Victor Brandon Dixon, uh, Joshua Henry. Uh, we opened with Clay Aiken from uh, who's starred in Spamalot. Um, Jessica Vosk would just crushed it. She uh, was the lead in Wicked for for the last two years and she's playing Carnegie Hall very soon. She does, uh, if you like Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which I feel like any decent human being should, <laughs> uh, you could check it out on Neil Paris, Neil Patrick Harris's Instagram. She really, uh, and what's great about it is that the, you know, towards the end, I think it was maybe a little hard for people to wrap their heads around why the restaurant was doing a Broadway series, but uh, towards the end, it was really just uh, great to see the response from the, the community. And it was really great. Uh, uh, was seeing the cars that left. And it wasn't just a bunch of like, Maseratis and, you know, uh, Mercedes SLs. It was like people who live year round, who work year round in what I'll call uh, everyday jobs uh, in the Hamptons coming to see the show and saying how psyched they were to have this sort of this experience in the Hamptons. And for Clissa Sounds, you know, we, I had a friend and, uh, uh, in the music business and he used to this great woman named Betty, Betty Levy. And she, I basically said to her, I said, look, we got some of this government money and I want to roll the dice on, on doing a, a music series. I think people are dying for music. Mm. Um, and she put up the lineup together and we had everyone from like, you know, Wyclef to Armand Van Helden and Bob Moses and uh, Run from Run DMC, which was really great actually show. I really, Amazing. <laughs> I love, I gotta tell you that show I love the most, like being from Queens and growing up in the eighties was probably my sure. um, So yeah, it was, it was tremendous. It was uh, it was definitely nerve wracking. I don't know anything. I definitely realized how little I knew about music production. <laughs> like you guys you, at dance, you do these huge events. So for you guys, it's probably you know old hat. But I was I was like, okay. I, I remember we had sorry last year. I remember we had Noah Tepperbergen from Tau, and I leaned over to him and I said, I always appreciated, I always respected what you did, but I never appreciated the full scope of how hard it was <laughs> until. Right for this moment in time so well thank you for the thank you for that kind uh those kind comments josh i really appreciate it yeah of course well listen how many people go into the restaurant industry thinking it's easy <laughs> I know, exactly. I they're out of their minds <laughs> right <laughs> i imagine you get some of the same from writers right of course yeah I put out a paper i'll put out a paper sure <laughs> Everything looks easy from the outside until you really have to put in the hard work to make it successful, right? I mean, it's one thing to do. It's another thing to do it successfully. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not saying this to be sweet generous, but it was really great to have Dan's, the writers from Dan's, be genuinely excited about it because I think without that sort of genuine, and you can read it in, in, in articles. I'm sure, well, I'm sure you know this better than I do, but 
you could tell like the writers themselves are really excited about it, um, which I think sort of translated over to the guests. So it was great, man. It was really cool. I have to tell you. Talk to me about staffing, because obviously, you know, no business could be successful without the right team in place. And I know a lot of restaurateurs that I've spoken to and other businesses have had a really tough time staffing, not just out in the Hamptons, but but all over. What have you found over the past, you know, just a few months? Sure. Um, so, I, you know, I'm very curious to see what the next month, you know, uh, come, you know, what happens over the next month in terms of staffing with, with benefits uh, changing. We made the decision last November to keep all of our staff. We like got all the staff together and we said, there's two options. Either we like let some of you go for like some bullshit reason. Like you, you started on June 7th and you started on June 10th, which we can do that if you guys want, or we can, we're all taking a cut, um, a pay cut for the first, you know, for X amount of time. We'll guarantee a certain amount of hours. We'll do a food bank but everyone stays with a job. And these guys are not guys, let's put it this way. The government is very good, is very confused about status sometimes when it comes to money coming in. When it comes to money going out, they have a very firm grasp of who is eligible for benefits and who is not. Mm. So, like some of these guys, if, if they didn't have jobs, like there's no safety net for them. No, right. So we, basically plotted out that we had six months before we burned through all our money. And in January, it was, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty scary uh, moments. Mm. Uh, but, you know, things opened up and we were able to keep our staff. So as it was brutal, we couldn't get any new staff. That was almost impossible. And we, and we changed our entire model. We got rid of tipping and we were paying people between 20 and $55 an hour. So it's not like, that's like real money. You know I mean? You're talking, uh, you know, as an hourly rate, that's that's real money, and we couldn't find anyone other than the people that we had uh, kept through, and like some of their immediate family members. But if not for that, we would have been sunk. Like, there's no way Calissa would have been able to to operate at all. So the loyalty you showed them in the beginning paid off for you in the long term. It was, uh, yeah, the investment. Uh, the investment worked out. But I'll tell you, in January, I wasn't. Sure. <laughs> you touched on it just now by saying you got rid of tipping. So, so how did you structure your restaurants? So without boring everyone into the intricacies of the New York labor law and how tipping works, um, but it's, it's rather complicated in some way, more complicated than you would think. But basically in New York, many people are unaware that the only people that can participate in tips are the servers. No, no one else, not the cook, not the, you know, um, not probably at least 50% of the staff is ineligible to share in that gratuity. And, and you think about it, people tip all the time on food, like, right. The food came out fast. The food was great. My mother, I don't know if your mom is like this, Vicky's like this, but my mom is obsessed with the bathrooms. She's always like, yes, if they're not clean, you hear it from my mom. Yeah, exactly. That's like her first, like I literally, the, the food could be like a disaster. She's like, well, the bathrooms are very clean. <laughs> So, you know, who cleans the bathroom? It's not the servers, right? It's the dishwashers. So we put an 18% administrative fee on the check. And we basically, guys, we pay a living wage to everyone and benefits. And the way we do this is through an admin fee. If you really want to, think of it like you're in Europe. You want to leave a couple bucks, that's up to you. But there's no requirement and no one's expecting it. We get a little pushback from it at uh, uh, Bar Marseille and Nassau. 
but I was shocked that in the Hamptons where <laughs> the penalty of complaints is at times mind boggling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People complain to me about insects when they request an outside table and I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know how to, <laughs> I don't really know how to reconcile. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> that's the way outside works. Like, you know what I mean? Um, you know, I've had people call me from watermelon say, is it cold at the restaurant? I'm like, I, I don't know. Do you want to go outside of your house? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Um, but uh, uh, of all the things that people actually did not um, balk at it, which is pretty great. So, um, And really the, 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 the model behind that is that you can compensate all of your staff versus just, you know, a small group being highly compensated. Is that, is that more or less the? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, basically, you you would ha you have like a, a, a basically a, a four to five times disparity of what the cooks, uh, you know, would be compensated for relative to the servers based on gratuities. Um, and frankly, with gratuities, we cannot compensate on seniority or merit. Like, I'm not allowed to say this server has been with us for 20 years, therefore they should have a greater percentage of the pool distribution. I can't do that. It's, a, it's, by, it's actually really union-like. It's like basically, this is your job title. That's how much percentage you get of the, of the tip pool. Hmm. Um, so by doing this, we were able to, I frankly operate like any other business. Like, you know, there's risk on our end because we guarantee the rates whether we're busy or not. Right. Has it been difficult? Because obviously the majority of the staff probably loves it, but what about the waiters? Is it difficult to deal with the waiters and waitresses that are now not getting a full tip where they would have in a restaurant that did tipping? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. There are the people like the, who chase the, you know, like the chase the dragon, they chase the the big night. Yeah. I found was that we got a, a smarter, more responsible class of employee, like people with kids, right? You got kids, man. Like you're not, you're not interested in like the big night so much as you are interested in knowing every week you're going to, you know, have a, a steady income. So um, we did lose people because of it, but I, I like to think that the people who are attracted to it are frankly more responsible and, and, and professional. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Well, it's good for the public to know so they understand what's behind it. Because I feel like understanding what's behind it would give a lot more support from the public behind that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It's actually a pretty, we're, we're, you know, because this has been a topic for years now in the in the press for restaurants, and and um, some people say to me, "Well, we'll just pay your people." I'm like, I'm like, well, I, we do pay them. Like, frankly, we pay them four to between three and five times what uh, you know the minimum. You know, servers in other restaurants make ten dollars an hour. Mm. That's the actual wage, ten dollars an hour. Mm. So, saying in New York City, I don't even know like what to say to that. This is a ridiculous. Uh, you know, number. And no, I, I appreciate that. I think if people understood the intricacies of it, they would understand that the restaurant takes on real uh, meaningful risk to guarantee this payment. Yeah. Come hell or high water, man. Like right. you, you have a slow night, to, you know, service used to walk out with, you know, hundred bucks, you know, over, we're like, nope, you're coming, walking out with 300 or 250 come hell or high water. Hmm. That's, uh, Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That yeah, I guess so, so. The law has to be addressed, but in the meantime, you're doing something that I think um, you know should be a trend that other restaurants really should look to do to support their entire staff. Yeah, I, I hope so. You know, and if, if like California, we were allowed to share the tips 
between everyone working that way, then we wouldn't do it this way. We'd go back probably the old way, but you can't, it's illegal in New York to do that, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, no, thanks, I appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, uh, and, look, and it's hard, look, Danny Meyer gave up on it, right? He did a version of this before. Mm -hmm. Said, fuck it, right? It's not, it's not working. So it's uh, not without its uh, PR challenges. Yeah, yeah, well, I think perception, sometimes of people, they don't understand it, it can, it can hurt the restaurant. Yeah, yeah, so what we've been saying is, look, man, if you really are so, if you object to this so strenuously that you just have to determine the compensation of our of our servers, then we'll take it off and you can, if you really feel like this is really a moral quest for you right. <laughs> to tip, then we'll, it's fine. Let's talk about the Manhattan because, you know, right now we're recording this, it's mid-September, we're past Labor Day. Um, I personally noticed uh, in downtown Brooklyn where our office is, it was busier than it's been since the beginning of the pandemic, but it's still not where it was. So what are you seeing? My first part of my question. And the second part is, I believe it was this week or, or last week yeah. where the law was implemented that restaurants are now responsible for making sure that anyone eating at the restaurant, I guess working at the restaurant is in fact vaccinated. So I'm just curious on that also. I mean, how does that work? I mean, how is that? That's got to be a, a difficult, onerous thing, I would assume, to a certain extent. I think they should fucking stab everybody. Like, just to be clear, like where I stand, I'm a polio style, I should line up Yankee Stadium and stab everyone. But what I, what I definitely don't like is when the government is asking us to do things that it itself is unwilling to do. Like, you can still fly right now, my understanding, domestically, without a vaccine. Yes. You know, like, so you can still go into any transit hub in New York City or New York State without a vaccine. You know, millions of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people running through Penn Station and through the airports. But for some reason, they felt that the mechanism of enforcement should, you know, should rest on us, which puts us. And I say, look, I, there's some people who have privacy issues with the vaccine. I respect that. Like, I, I do. I mean, I agree with it, but I respect that. I understand or respect. I have guys who, you know, lived under Chavez, in, you know, in Venezuela. Like, they don't trust anything the government does. You know, like, I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. So I don't, I, I, I will say that I resent being in the position to get into arguments with our customers when the government is unwilling to do the same thing. What you saw in Brooklyn, by the way, I think is very accurate. I think you have residential areas are doing well. The commercial districts are not in the same position because mm. offices and you know we saw uh, when that when by the way the thing with that that regulate when that regulation came out we immediately like all of our corporate business called us up and was like yeah we're gonna like kick it back to october or november i mean maybe like 50 to 75 percent of the corporate business called us immediately and rescheduled stuff you know i mean these are our clients like it's hard for me to say uh well you booked it Right. You know, you're say like, okay, I guess, right. you know, whatever. So I think you are seeing, I think correctly, that tale of two cities continues between the residential neighborhoods and your, in your business uh, districts. What do you think in terms of the future? What, what is your outlook in terms of like the next six months? I mean, do you think it's just a matter of, cause now it's the fall season out East. So you never know if it's going to stay strong through the fall, like it did last year, whether maybe it tapers off a little bit with people coming back to the city. The city isn't at full strength. 
what is, what's your take on like the next six months? I'll tell you what I know. What, what I believe is that out East, that trend of the handles being more year round will not stop. I think what people learned during the pandemic is that it's really not that far. Right. And any modicum of flexibility at work that I think will continue will only strengthen that year round community. You know, I think that that's what people learn. They're like, you know, two hours is really not that bad. I can do it. So I think that it will be slower, but it will be more uh, measured. And I think uh, we'll see less Airbnb and transient people on the East End, which is critical, uh, you know, for business. Last year, we, there was none of that. Mm. Or Manhattan, I believe it is murky at the moment. I, I think it's, it's going to be incumbent upon like organizations like the Partnership for New York and people like that, just mm-hmm. assuming that there's that they're comfortable with the science to say, all right, guys, like get back, you know, get back to work. I don't know what you see in your business. Actually, I'm curious in publishing what it's like, but I am seeing more people who are adamantly like everyone can work from home saying, well, I'm not sure that really works as a practical matter. I don't know what you're seeing. I'm curious what you're seeing. Yeah, well, I, I think it's hard to plan long-term I'm seeing that things are getting better. Um, But my take on it is that if you're vaccinated, you're not going to get terribly ill. But they haven't confirmed it like 100% yet. I feel like in the next few months, they're going to have enough data. Because if they come out and say, listen, the odds of you going to the hospital or dying if you're vaccinated are 1%.01%, such a low number then I think people are going to start saying, all right, listen, we're going to open up our offices. Maybe we'll take other precautions, but you know, it's going to be like the flu. Yep. I think if we have that understanding, which I think we're all hoping for, I yep. think things will open back up. So I'm, I'm optimistic in New York City in general. And I think things are, I, listen, I certainly believe we passed the worst. Oh yeah. I mean, look, man, I mean, I grew up in New York, right? I mean, I, we saw like, you know, of course the recent anniversary uh, you know, blackout, like, and we saw all that. Yeah. I never bought, I never bought the like New York is down. I never, I never subscribed to that. Yeah. I think, uh, and I agree with you, by the way, on, on, on what you just said about the VAC stuff, you know, what, you know, I've seen actually, the reason why I brought up the government not following up is we had someone who was a colleague who was really reticent to do it, but eventually was like, well, I, I want to go on vacation. Like I want to go abroad. It's like, well, yeah. Do you want to get on an airplane or do you never want to go abroad again? Yeah. Well, I think, listen, I think, you know, the boss is probably doing everything that's in his power, you know, and then the federal government looks like they're taking a first step now by mandating it for their employees. You're right. Getting on the airlines, because at the end of the day, if people don't want to do it, you know, that's their choice. But, you know, if you inconvenience people enough to a certain extent, you know, they'll probably end up getting vaccinated. Right. So, I don't know, do you want to send your kid to kindergarten? You know, get them vaccinated. Or I guess, right. right? I mean, same. But I think these next few months will tell us a lot, right? I mean, you know, I think for your business and mine alike, the holiday season is critical, especially yeah. for the overall New York City economy. I mean, the holiday season, Broadway back open. I think, you know, the next few months will will certainly tell a lot. I was going to, I know we're probably coming up on time, but I was going to say December to me is the marker. Yeah. December is like, because, you know, we never really got that like sort of roaring 20s, which everyone sort of talked about because of the Delta variant. But I think if if the holiday season goes off with what we're familiar with, it will do a lot to change people's mindset, especially people who are sort of like on the fence about 
you know, how they're leading their lives and how public they're willing to be. I agree with you. December will be the, will be the telltale sign. Well, listen, James, I wish you all the best, you know, and anyone who's listening should really check out all of his restaurants uh, from a personal experience. He, he's got a great food service and ambiance and, uh, and I really appreciate your time coming on. My pleasure. I, uh, it's great to talk to you. It was, it was really great meeting you on that first day in, uh, in Riverhead at the, uh, at the coffee hour. That yeah, I remember. Good kismet there. Well, I so, look forward to seeing you soon, man. Likewise, brother. Take care. Thanks for listening in to Schneps Connects. Uh, to listen to any of our podcasts, you can visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or stream us on all major podcast networks.